You know, somebody asked me this past somebody, I've had several people ask, do you think this is a sign of the end times? Listen, let me tell you something. Jesus is coming back when? I don't know, but he's coming back. Coronavirus, market, up and down, stop market, and yet we get all stressed out. Why are you so stressed out for? Is Jesus dependable? Yeah, if, you're, if your faith is in the stock market, you're in trouble right now. If your faith is in not getting sick, you're in trouble right now. I've heard several of you guys coughing, you know. That's not what our faith is in. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. If, are you going to get sick? You're going to get sick sometime. Is the market, listen, you're probably going to lose some money. You may gain some. But that's not where our hope is, people. And that's not why we gather here today to talk about the, the coronavirus or the stock market or anything else. We gathered here to talk about Jesus. And so I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Acts. We're going to continue on where, we've, where we have been over the past several weeks. And I'm going to do something up front. We're going to talk today about the church. The church on mission is spirit-led. And, uh, and I, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to take you through from Acts 13 all the way to Acts 16 just by storing some things for you. But we're going to end up in Acts chapter 16 if you want to turn there and if you want to flip back and forth. But I sort of want to try to give you some things leading you up to that time because there's a lot of things that happen from the time that Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul, were called out and sent out, uh, dedicated, set apart by the Holy Spirit for the special work that he had called them. And we know it was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Up until this time, we've seen the gospel move from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now it's getting ready filled to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what's going to happen. And so we're sitting right here. And last week we talked about chapter 13 being the hinge the hinge of history. Uh, up until this time, we've seen all the way through chapter, through chapter 12, we've seen Peter being one of the central characters within the story, and we've seen Jerusalem being that, that central location of the church. But all of a sudden in chapter 13, there's some things that change. And what changes is all of a sudden you see the rise of Paul in leadership, and all of a sudden also you see Antioch becoming a central point of mission activity. And so... And so here is Paul and, Bar pardon, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, being sent out by the church at Antioch to the uttermost parts. And you know, they didn't go along. There was another guy that tagged along, and his name was John Mark. You may not know where John Mark came from. John Mark was back home, if you remember the story that Brian, I think Brian had shared it about about Peter being in chains and the chains were loosed and he, and he went, ended up at this house by a lady by the name of Mary and there were a group of people that were, that were assembled there and that was John Mark's mother. So they pick up this other guy to go to the ends of the earth and so it's Paul and it's Barnabas and it's John Mark and they, they head out on this, this journey and they begin to sail. Now I don't, I don't know if, if we have a map up here or not that sort of shows the direction in which they came. And I'm going to shorten up some things because we got, we, we're going to need some time here, especially at the end to pray for a few things. But um, what happens is that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark head out. They sail over to Cyprus, and they go from there up, up to uh, Asia Minor, to, to that, that port called Pergia. And then they would move from there to Antioch of uh, Pisidia. Then they would move over to Iconium, to Lystra, 
and to Derby, and it was there at Lystra that they would come in contact with this with a, with a young man who had been crippled since birth. So Paul heals this guy, and in the midst of this healing, the people that are there think that they're gods. And, and Paul and Barnabas said, "Listen, man, we're we're not gods." He said, "We're we're men just like you." And he said, we, we bring you the good news of, of Jesus. He said, we serve the God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in it. We serve the God that creates the rain and the water that, that waters your crops and provides food for you. And, uh, you know, the religious people, they always got to come in and make a mess of stuff. They didn't like it. Jealousy, bitterness. If you read the story, what happens is they end up inciting this riot where they stone Paul, take him outside to the city, and they thought he was dead, and they left him there. But here's some believers, they're praying around Paul. Paul gets up, and he walks back into the city. Now, why in the world he would do that, I have no earthly idea. I don't think I'd want to go to a place that somebody had stoned me and turn around and go right back in. Hadn't make any sense, but he did. And then we see him end up in, in Derby. So this whole time, they're preaching the gospel. They're taking the gospel from place to place to place. And as they're going, there's this group of people that assembled that, man, they're following them because they don't like them. They're jealous. And they're saying, listen, these guys are only teaching you part of the, the story. They're not telling you the whole story, that there's more to the story to salvation than what they're preaching. So Paul and Barnabas make this decision. Well, let me back up just a second. In the middle of all of this, there's a guy by the name of James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, that writes this book, this letter to the persecuted believers, the book of James. Are you with me? James writes his book about this same time. And I wonder, I wonder if that's why James, in chapter 3 of his, of his letter, talks about the, the dangers of the tongue. Because one of the things that he would address to those who were believers who had been persecuted and scattered is he addressed the issue of the tongue in chapter 3. And he said something along this line, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire and a tongue is a flame of fire. Does gossip destroy? Let me say that again. Does gossip destroy? Do religious people get involved in it? Be careful. You may get more than what you asked for. And so here's James in the middle of all of this. He writes this, he writes this letter about this time. And so Paul and Barnabas are in Derby and they turn around and say, hey, why don't we go back and why don't we visit the cities that we've already visited, the villages that we've already visited, and why don't we encourage them? Why don't we talk to them about the fact that they're going to suffer for their faith? And so they did. They went back and they made their way back around. And in the meantime, at every one of those places that they stopped, they, they selected or they appointed some elders to oversee the work that was there. You wonder why we have what we call overseers. This is one of the places that we find this where overseers were appointed. They were chosen and they were to oversee the work of the ministry. At Heritage, we have overseers. We have trustees and overseers, and we have executive staff, and we have administrative staff. And our overseers have the responsibility of overseeing, protecting, watching over the body of Christ. And so here's Paul and Barnabas on their journey, going back through and finally arrived back at Antioch, where, where, they begin, where their journey started to begin with. And when they, and when they got back, 
Man, they started to tell the stories of the numbers of people that had trusted Jesus and said that they wanted to follow Christ. They talked about the things that had happened and the miracles that had been done and the numbers of Gentiles that had come to believe. And not long after they would get back, Paul himself would write a letter to the churches at Galatia, the churches that he had established, that they had established while they were on this missionary journey. And that letter would have been written to the churches that they had made their way through during that time. And so here's Paul writing a letter back to the churches in Galatia because of the questions and the conflicts that had arisen. Because there were theirs that were, there were those that were saying, listen, it's not by, by salvation, by, by God's grace through faith. But listen, if you, if you want to be saved, really what you've got to do is you've got to become Jewish. You've got to become circumcised and obey the law of Moses. And what, what Paul says as he writes this letter back, he says, guys, listen, don't pay attention to what they're saying because what they're saying isn't right. And I, and I love what, what Paul has to say as he goes through and he, he talks about freedom in Christ and how to live through the power of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. And he pins those words as he writes to the churches at Galatia. And he finishes up in chapter 6. And I read this to the staff the other day because when you read it in context of what's going on, it's pretty funny. Okay? Have you, have, it's, it's a pretty funny, when you, especially when you understand what's going on, Troy, at that, at that point in time. Because there's this conflict that's arisen. And they're saying, listen, Paul's not right. Paul's saying, listen, guys, just listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. And so at the end of Paul's letter, this is what he writes in Galatians 6, 12. He said, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want you to look good for others. Boy, man, he's fixing to get all in it. Listen to what he says. They don't want you to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised. Put this in, put this in in relationship to where we are today. They only want you to be baptized. Are we on the same page? See, they only want you to be circumcised, or we could say baptized, so that they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. You know, if you get around church circles, it doesn't take very, well, how many of you baptized last year? What you running? We on the same page? Isn't this funny? I mean, Paul's saying, look, man, <laughs> The only, the only thing that they're trying to do is make themselves look good. They're not really interested in your salvation. And he goes on to say, listen, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of Christ. Because of the cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. And in this passage, there's Paul's statement that he makes in Galatians, back in Galatians 2. I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives within me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then in verse 15 there in chapter 6, he says, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether or not you have been transformed into a new creation. Hey, can we talk for a second? Let me ask you something. I don't want to ask you how many times you go to church. I don't want to ask you whether or not you're leading a Bible study. I don't want to ask you how much you're giving. I don't want to ask you whether or not you serve. I want to ask you the question, have you, have you been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Think about that for a second. 
I'm not asking you any other religious question. The only thing I'm asking you is this. Has your life been transformed? Because if your life has been transformed, you know it. There's no question whether I am or whether I'm not. I'm asking the question, has your life been transformed? Think about that for a second. Are you different? Because of your interaction with Jesus, are you different? Because there's no way, there's no way you can see Jesus face to face and not be different. Are we on the same page? See, there's some of you right now, you're, you're, you're struggling. It wouldn't surprise me if, some, if there's somebody here today that's saying, well, you know, I do all these things, but I don't know whether or not my life has ever been transformed. I don't, I don't know if I'm different. Because when we come to know Christ, we're different. You remember the old statement, um, no Jesus, no change. No Jesus, no change. Yeah. If you, if you know him, you're different. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, what counts is whether or not you've been transformed into a new creation. And then he says, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. And then what happens to be, has to be one of my most favorite verses. <laughs> Look at what he says in verse 17 in Galatians 6. From now on, don't let anybody trouble me with this stuff. In other words, guys, I'm tired of talking about this. I don't want to talk about this anymore. This is wasting my time. I've already told you what you need to hear, and this is the truth. And he said, listen, for I bear on my body the scars that, I, that show that I belong to Jesus. Well, after Barnabas and Saul got back to Antioch, where they started out, it wasn't long that there were some guys that showed up from the central church back in Jerusalem that began to teach the people that unless they were circumcised, unless they obeyed the law of Moses, that they could not or would not be saved. So do you think there was a conflict in Antioch at the church? Yeah. And so there's this, this conflict. And so the leaders being really smart said, hey, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take Paul and we're going to take Barnabas and some other of you guys. We're sending you back to Jerusalem. And I want you guys to work this thing out. And I want you to come back with an answer because there's got to be an answer to this. And so that's exactly what they did. They, they traveled, they went back to Jerusalem, and there was this meeting that we find in Acts chapter 15, this meeting that was called the Jerusalem Council. And the Jerusalem Council was made up of leaders of the church there in Jerusalem, as well as the church at Antioch. And they got together to have this discussion. And there was this discussion, and the, and the basis of that discussion was two things. Number one, do Gentiles first have to become a Jew before they can become a Christian? In other words, do they have to be circumcised to become Jewish before they become a believer? And the second thought was this, do Gentiles have to observe the Mosaic law after they become a Christian? So they have this discussion. But in the midst of that, Paul and, and Barnabas are sharing the stories of the numbers of Gentiles that were turning, Susan, and coming to Christ. And they were sharing those stories. And you know, there, there wasn't a resolve. 
I mean, there was conflict and there was tension and there was, there was, there was this, this sense of, of an atmosphere of, of anxiety that was there in that room as they talked and as they discussed and as they worked this out. And the Pharisees stood up at one point and said, look, there's no way that you can't, that you can't, you cannot be a believer unless you're circumcised, unless you follow and obey the laws of Moses. And in the midst of that discussion, here's Peter. Now, you remember Peter? This is, this is Peter, the one that denied Christ. This is Peter, the one that, you know, the, the rooster crowed. And, and this is the same, you know, the, the walking on the water and the Peter that, that's the Peter. The, the, the Peter. The Peter that, that, that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Jesus, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's the same Peter that Jesus looked at him and said, you are, you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church. This is the same Peter that at Pentecost preached in the midst of the confusion when the Holy Spirit came. The same Peter that that stood up and he spoke and he told them what was going on and he shared the gospel. And the Bible says at that moment in time, more than 3,000 people trusted Christ. This is that same Peter. And that same Peter in Acts 15.10 says this. Why... (laughs) Listen to the wisdom. Guys, why are you challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke or a teaching that neither we nor our ancestors are able to bear? No. He says, we believe that we're all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Barnabas and Paul continued the discussions about what God had done on that first missionary journey. And then Luke records that James, the brother of Jesus, who is now the leader in the, in the early church, he stands up and he says this. He says, guys, listen, let me tell you something. What's happening right now is exactly what the prophet Amos, what he told us about years and years ago. And then he states what Amos has said afterwards, I will return and restore the falling house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, including the Gentiles. All those that I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. In other words, it's all about Jesus, this Messiah that they were awaiting, the one that would come, that would that would save them, the one who would be not only crucified, that would be resurrected from the dead. The salvation, that salvation that Jesus came to give us wasn't just available for the Jews, but it was available for all people. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved regardless. And Peter said, and James said, listen guys, what, what they're telling us isn't, it's not a surprise because 800 years ago it was prophesied that it would take place. And then James comes back and he says in verse 19 there in Acts chapter 15, guys, we will not make it hard for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let me, <clears throat> it is so easy for the church to fall back into the same pattern. I see a lot of people shaking their head. It is, it is really easy, easy for religious people to make it difficult for the people that are wanting to come to Christ and seeking hope. It's really easy all of a sudden in the midst of our relationship with God to press inward and to try to set up these steps or these things for people to cross, these barriers for people to cross over so that they can become 
truly followers of Christ. When, when James is saying here, do not make it difficult. Do not make it difficult. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Guys, we will not make it hard for the Gentiles who are turning to God. But then he goes back and he says, but listen, what I want you guys to do is remember this. Be careful because some of the things that you do are so troubling. They're so confusing. They're, they're, they're so, they, they cause so much tension. Some of the things that you think are okay, listen at this. Some of the things that the Gentiles may think are okay can be so offensive to the, belie- to, the, to the Jews who've been brought up in a Jewish culture. Are we on the same page? You think about some of the things that the Gentiles may not even be thinking about, but you're thinking about, but that the Jews may be thinking. The church, think about the church culture and think about the culture of the world or somebody who hasn't been raised. Man, some of the conversations we have sometimes, they're so foreign to the conversations that people on the outside would have. It totally passes right over their head because they're not concerned about some of the things that you've grown up being concerned about. Singing some of the same songs that you sang. Doing some of the same. Sunday school. What's Sunday school? I don't know what that is. And so you got two different cultures and James said, listen, what I want you to do, yes, salvation by, by grace By grace, God's grace through faith. But be careful of some other things over here that can be so troubling to the Jews. I want you to be careful of that. Not after long after Paul and Barnabas with the others, they went back to the church at Antioch to give the report of everything that had happened and they rejoiced about the decision. And here's Paul and Barnabas. Hey man, let's let's go back. Let's go, let's, go, let's go back and let's, let's make another visit to the, to the places that we went and let's tell them all these things that have happened and let's go back and see them. And so that's what they're going to do. And Barnabas said, listen, man, I'm ready to go. Listen, we're, um, let, uh, John Mark wants to go with us again. And if you know the story, Paul said, I don't think so. I mean, that joker got homesick last time before we even made it to a couple of stops. He had to turn around and come back. I'm not taking him with us. He's dead weight. So there was a conflict, there was a tension that took place. So Barnabas ups and he takes, he, he takes John Mark and he leaves and he heads back, going the same direction that they'd gone the first time in their first missionary journey. Whereas, whereas Paul picks up this guy by the name of Silas, who they had met back in Jerusalem, and he's one of the ones that came back. Paul said, that's okay, I'm going to take Silas. And what he did is he went, he went north. He went north. And so... While they're going up north, he, he starts off at Derby where they finished up at Derby. What, what Paul and Silas do is they travel north to Derby, and it was there that he, he saw some people that were probably some people that became believers. He met this young man by the name of Timothy, who was a second-generation believer. His mother was Eunice, and his grandmother was Lois, and they probably became believers the first time that Paul and Barnabas came through. And Timothy so much impressed Paul because here was this young man that was well-respected, well-respected, and yet he was a strong believer and follower of Christ. And what Paul says, man, I I think we're going to take this guy along with us. Matter of fact, I'd love to take him along. I'd I'd like for him to to tag along and and maybe he can walk alongside of us and and he can learn and we we can help mentor him. And here's Timothy, probably in his late teens, early 20s, and he said, but, 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 but Timothy, there's something that we got to take care of before, before we go. 
because it's a really sensitive issue. And since we're going to be meeting some Jews, and since your mother is Jewish and your father is Gentile, his father was probably not a believer, Paul suggests or makes this suggestion and prepares that Timothy can be circumcised. Now, I think that would have shut my trip off right there. I think I'd have said, okay, guys, you go. I'll pray for you. I'll give. But I think I'm going to stay right here. But here's this young, this young man that is circumcised. And you know why Paul had him circumcised? Because he did not want it to become a hindrance or a distraction to the people that they would be ministering to. Isn't that something? It's not about being right or wrong. It's about being God's. And it says in, in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, and we're getting really close. It said the churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew larger every day. And Paul did what he did and he, he endured the difficulties and the challenges. You know why? Because he loved the Lord, but also because he loved the church. Do you love the church? Is the body of Christ important to you? You know, what do you do to protect the body of Christ? Not just a body of Christ, not just a church, a, a group of people that gather, but what do you do to protect the body of Christ? What do you do to protect the integrity of the body of Christ? Well, Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10, it brings us to where we are today. I'll read these passages, and then what I want to do is I want to bring, make just a couple of points to you today that I think are really important that we can pick out. But look at what, look at what Luke records. Next, Paul, there in verse, verse 6, in verse, chapter 16 of Acts. Next, Paul and Silas, so they're over here in Derby, Lystra. It says, it says, they traveled through the area of Phrygia in Galatia. Because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus, that's just another word for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mycenae to the port, to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave from Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Remember what they were commissioned to do. Remember what Barnabas and Paul were first commissioned to do. They were appointed they were called out by the Holy Spirit. They were appointed and they were sent off for the special work of carrying the gospel to the Gentiles. And so now you've got Paul and his partner Silas. They're headed north. So they're in Derby. So they're, they're headed they're northwest into Galatia. They're going to go across the mountain range. But it says here, um, we're giving the impression that, Paul, that their, their, their journey didn't go the way that they, they thought it would go. I mean, Paul had plans to go west into Asia, Asia which would have been um, Asia Minor, which would have been our modern-day Turkey. That was Paul's. That was Paul's thought. I mean, we're going to go this way. We're going to follow. We're going to follow the places that I've already been. But the Holy Spirit said no, and so he turned northwest to go. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said no, and so he made another turn, and he ended up over at the seaport of Troas, and it was there that he had this vision. Okay, so I want you to see that. 
And, and I don't understand. Uh, maybe it was through a dream. Maybe it was through uh, a sense of unsettledness in his heart that, that all these changes that took place as the Holy Spirit was leading them and sort of directing their travels. I don't know what it was, but all I know is that Paul's plans were changed. You ever had your plans change? Yeah. And so here's Paul's plans that are changed <laughs> in the midst of it. And, and, and uh, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me that before the trip, Silas probably said something like, hey, man, listen, I know we're going on this trip. Where are we going? And Paul sat down and said, okay, well, we're going to go here, and we're going to go here, 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 and here. And, and he outlined every place that they were going to go. And now Silas is saying, hey, man, look, look, dude. I thought you said we were going here, here, and here, and we're not going here, here, but we're going here and over here. And over. Could you please explain to me what's going on? I mean, don't you think that could be a, that's a possible conversation that's happening? I mean, instead of heading into Bithynia, they head west into the Aegean Sea where they get to the port of Troas, the capital, where the capital would have been Ephesus. And that area, that area contains the seven churches that we find in the book of Revelation, the, book, the church of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon and Tyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And these churches were named after cities that were in that area that lied upon the Roman road. They were very strategic cities. And there would be churches that would be established there that were, I don't know, 20 to 50 miles apart, each one of them. And that night in Troas, where, where, they, where they had spent the night, Paul has this, this vision he, he has this dream about a, a guy from Macedonia crying out, pleading, come, come. Well, if you know where Macedonia is, if, if here's the seaport of, of Troas, up here is Macedonia, Greece. It's further north, further towards the uttermost parts of the world, of the earth. And God would use this vision in Paul's life to make his intentions known. I don't have any idea who the man in the vision was. I don't understand it. But when Paul shared the vision with Silas, Paul, when he shared that vision, there was a, a thought that they believed that God was leading them to share the good news in Macedonia. Even though they didn't have all the details. I mean, if you're like me, I like to have some of the details. It's hard walking by faith, isn't it? It's difficult. But there's one thing that's clear in the midst of all this that's happening is that there was a sense of the Holy Spirit leading. It was a sense of the fact that the Holy Spirit was the one that was calling the shots. There was a sense of the fact that their travel to Macedonia would not be man's good idea, but it would be God's idea. That it wouldn't be... Um, the, for the glory of man, but it would be for the glory of God. And in this story, there's some conclusions, I think, that we can draw from this, this passage of Scripture that we're reading. And I want you to write this down or make note of this somewhere because I think this is important. Number one, the Holy Spirit guides through open and closed doors. Look at what he says in verse 6. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So here's two instances right here where the Holy Spirit closed the doors. Right there where the Holy Spirit closed the doors. 
Once when they're headed over to Asia, another when they're headed north, and the Holy Spirit said, nope, not going to go there. You know, if I look back on my life, I think about the numbers of times, Scott, that, that, that God has opened and shut doors. Sometimes they're, they're gentle, closes of a door, and sometimes they're slammed shut. You know, I, I think back, you know, I told you guys yesterday that I knew, I knew without a shadow of a doubt when I was, when I was 14, I knew that what God wanted me to do, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. That wasn't my plan. I knew God's plan. Um, and at 17, I was hired on as a, um, at a bank as a, as a leadership trainee. 17 years old, I went, here's this country guy that loved to wear jeans and work in the fields, and all of a sudden I find myself in suits every day and ties. I don't even know what a tie is anymore. Do we wear ties still? I think I have a closet full. I've given a bunch of them away. But I, 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 so here I go from, from working with my hands and being outside and sweat pouring off of me to working in an office, you know, behind closed doors in a suit and tie and in the air conditioning. It was great. It was wonderful. But all of a sudden, I, I worked there for about, I don't know, 45 days or so. And within that 45 days, I got a, I got a, I got a message. Hey, come in and see the see the, uh, the bank president. I went in and sat down to him. He said, listen, Sid, man, it's been great. It's been wonderful. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm getting ready to promote me or something, you know. <clears throat> and, and so they were training me. I was in this training position. They were going to eventually train me, put me through school to put me in a leadership position in a, in a, in a bank. So he said, man, look, it's, it's great having you, but um, um, your position's been eliminated and we have to terminate you today. Me? Terminate? I mean, I'd never had anything like that happen before. Terminate? I'd always heard, I never understood what the word fired was when I was growing up. I kept, you know, the little kids, you think about the word fired, Kevin, you have no idea what fired, I mean, thinking, what's fired mean? Well, I, that was fired. I got fired. I was let go. <laughs> you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And I, I'm left, I'm left at 17 years old thinking, well, what just happened? I mean, I, I know it's not because of my work ethic, because I worked hard, and I had to go back. One of the hardest things in the world was to go back and get a job that I had prior to leaving, you know, because I left, I left a job. I had to go back and get a job, ask for it. Well, in a matter of short amount of time, I was, I was gone again, but I, I could look back in my, in my life, and man, that was a door that God was closing because he knew that wasn't what I needed to do. And it would set the pace for other decisions down the line. I go back to Rick and Mary, missionaries in, in Nicaragua, and they tell the story about their plan, their plans, their plans to go to China. <laughs> yeah. And now they end up in Nicaragua. God shut the door in China. Now they've been in Nicaragua for probably 10 years ministering because God knew where he wanted them to go. God shuts doors as well as open doors. I, I think back in the life, the numbers of times that God has opened doors through relationships or through things that I've participated in. You know, I think back, and one of the things I remember is being invited to participate in a leadership, um, in a leadership symposium that, that took place over a year here within our county. And uh, you have to be invited to be a part of that. And there's a group of about 30 to 35 of you that usually get together, and you walk through this journey together over a year's time. It's called Leadership Lake County. Little did I know that during that time that I would meet somebody that would not only become a dear friend, but somebody that would be very instrumental in helping us plant heritage in the early days when I didn't even know heritage existed, wasn't even part of God's plan or anything else. 
Think about that. Isn't it exciting to know that God is not only shutting doors, but God is opening doors for us because he's got a plan. I have to often pray, God, I'm not smart enough, so would you please help me out? Help me out. I want you to write this down also. The guidance of the Holy Spirit isn't just circumstantial, but it's, ra- but it's also rational. The guidance of the Holy Spirit isn't just circumstantial. In other words, we don't always know the details, but it's also, it's also rational. Acts 16.10 says, So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So here's Paul sitting down and said, Okay, guys, let me tell you something. Let me, let me give it to you. Last night I had this dream. Oh, good gracious, alive. He's got another dream, people. No, I need you to sit and listen to me for a second. I had this dream, and there's this guy from Macedonia, and he's pleading, he's crying for us to, to come. And I can imagine the discussions as they begin to talk about what God not only had been doing, but God might be doing. The doors that had been shut, and all of a sudden a door that opens. I mean, here it is. Who in the world would have ever thought about dreaming to go to a place like Macedonia? And yet they were sensitive to what God might be doing. I mean, was it the leading of the Holy Spirit or was it just a a bad night of indigestion? Which one was it? I mean, we don't have to guess, but we can use godly wisdom. I mean, I want you to think about it. Look at that word. There should be a word there in, your, in, your, in, your, in, in verse 10. It says concluded, having concluded. I want you to circle, underline, make note of that, mark through it, do something to highlight it. Because that word concluded in the Greek is, is uh, um, sumbazio, and it means to join or put together. And, and, and I don't, let me see if I can help you better understand this, put together. Sumbatsio means to put together. So Meredith at Christmas times, a lot of times will buy a puzzle. This year, I think she bought a puzzle from where the devil lives. Okay. (laughs) Because it had so many pieces to the puzzle. I I don't know how many pieces, but it was a bunch of pieces. And, and usually during Christmas break, you know, there's a table and you come in and out and as family members, you sort of put a little piece in there. And I, and I watched Anna for several days and they worked for several days and there was just a little piece of the puzzle that was together. And, and I thought, well, man, I'm going to go fix this. So I go in one day and I, I probably spent 10 minutes and didn't even put a piece of the puzzle in. I mean, but then I would find a piece of the puzzle. And, and then one night I just got really, um, I got really focused on it. And I must have had some coffee or something because at the time I looked up, it was one o'clock in the morning and I was not even tired. So I made the decision that night, Gail, I'm up for the, for the endurance of this thing. I'm putting this puzzle together tonight. And you know, it was really funny because there would be those times that it would be just dry and I couldn't find, but, but then there was the time that I would find the one piece of the puzzle. And then all of a sudden I I could put, oh, there it is. And there's another one and there's another one. And I could put several together all, all really quickly. Seven o'clock in the morning. I put the last piece that I had because there were four pieces that weren't in the puzzle. I don't know where they were. Think of how disappointing that was. But I, I tell you that to say that word concluded carries with it the same thought, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. 
And there's always a purpose behind the move of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. See, the guidance of the Holy Spirit isn't just circumstantial. Not always, you may not always get all the details, but it, the movement of the, the Holy Spirit is rational. I, think about it just for a second. You don't have to guess it. You don't have to make it up. I've got, a, I've got a picture in my office, and the picture on, the, on the, the screen is not the picture that's in my office, but it represents the picture that's in my office. And on that picture, um, and maybe you've seen one similar to this, there's a, there's a path, there's a road, and on that road there's some trees, and maybe there's some sun that's shining through, and, um, and, and, and it represents a lot of things. And at the end of that, there's a, there's a light and a lot of times people will come in the office and we'll sit down and, Larry, I think we've had this conversation before. What do you see in the picture? You know, how many people do you think have traveled? Is that an old road? Is that a young road? Do you think a lot of people have traveled down that road or a few people? Do you think there have ever been any, any, any great conversations that have had? Do you think anybody's ever walked down that road? How long do you think the road has been there? Short amount of time? Long amount of time? Are the trees old? What kind of trees are they? Do they, have, do they have long, deep roots or do they have shallow roots? Do you think the trees have ever experienced a storm? And then we get to the place, what do you, what do you, what's at the end? I don't really know. Let's make up some things. What do you think might be around the corner? And think about how many times we make up things that are around the corner not knowing what's around the corner. See, we won't know what's around the corner until we get to the place in the journey that the Lord wants us to see. And so in our lives, what we have to do is we have to walk by faith and not by sight. But the Holy Spirit will never, ever tell us to do something that's not in line with the Father. Are we on the same page? Do you hear? I mean, the Holy Spirit would never ask you to do something stupid. He wouldn't do that. So the Holy Spirit is, is not only the work of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit is not only circumstantial, but it's also rational. It's in line with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may not give us all the details, details, but it doesn't mean that we can't take and make steps forward. Write this down. The Holy Spirit's guidance is also personal and communal. You know, if you go back and you read these passages, I, in, in 6 to 10, I, I want you to make note of the words them and they, and also we and us. Did you ever notice that, that little, that little the, the slightness of we and us? Here's Luke, the writer, including himself in this, which makes me believe here's Luke that's on this journey with them. Are you, are you with me? And, and in those times that I've sensed God's leadership and direction, I have to tell you, one of the things that I've learned to do is to grab some people and talk. I don't know about you, but I have to talk. I talk, I talk about things that I sense God doing, that I feel like God is doing. And I, and I, I, I have to I talk to other people because there's, there's a great amount of safety and comfort that comes in, in a group of people having those discussions. Before Heritage was ever began, there were about 14 people that met one night. 14 people. And in that room, there were six ordained pastors. There was more than 150 years of ministerial experience. In that room was a tremendous amount of lay leadership as well. 
in that room were retired pastors as well as retired presidents of a, a retired president of a seminary and Bible college. And that night we sat around and we talked and, and Brian and I talked about what we felt like God was doing. And, and at the end of that, we prayed together. And at the end of the praying together, it was sort of like, okay, guys, what do you sense that God is doing in the midst of this? And the thought was, it was a consistent thought. It was across the board. We feel like God is at work. How can you not move ahead? If you go back and you look in the scriptures, you don't find a lot of long rangers, do you? Uh-uh. And the godly counsel of others is, is imperative. I, I love what we read in Proverbs 13, 10. It says, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. I love advice. Not the fact that I always follow the advice because some of the advice may not be wise advice. But I love to have advice because, you know, the Lord uses other people to give guidance. The guidance of the Holy Spirit, it's personal and it's communal. I want you to write the fourth thing down. The guidance of the Holy Spirit often comes gradually and unpredictably. Let's remember how this story began to start off with. Here's Paul and Barnabas with this idea to go back to go back to Antioch from the Jerusalem meeting and not long after here they hear here Paul and Barnabas say let's go back and visit the cities that we've already been to and let's preach the word of the Lord to see how these new believers are are doing so Macedonia guys was never on their radar screen they didn't see it wasn't a part of it but here it was Paul saying hey man let's go visit the people let's check on them and they were living out exactly what the Holy Spirit had appointed them to do and called them to do to begin with so it all started with, hey, man, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's have a plan. Um, and their plan to go back wasn't a wrong plan. It wasn't a bad plan. But what the Holy Spirit would do is he would take their availability and their obedience to the call to direct their steps. Does that make sense? And one of the things that we see is that it wasn't Paul and Barnabas that would, they, would, they didn't make the trip because um, we, we know that they didn't make the trip because they ended up in this conflict. But here's Barnabas that takes John Mark and he goes, and then you take Paul that takes Silas and he goes north. Talking about unpredictable, unpredictable. Not even what they wanted to do to start off with, it wasn't their plans but it was God's plan. I was talking to some of the guys and I see Scott here and I'm assuming Jeff's around here someplace, Jeff Bell, if he's not in the back working and, and I don't know if Steve Whitaker's here, but, I, um, but I, I know there have been three mission trips that have been planned over the past couple of years to Haiti that have had to be canceled for various reasons. Unrest in the community, unrest in the, in the, in the country of Haiti. And... Um, Every time there have been plans that have been made, there have been scheduled vacations, there have been set aside resources to go for the trip for only at the last minute for it to be put on hold. You know, you talk about discouraging and you talk about defeat, being defeated. I mean, because, you know, you start asking some questions. God, are you trying to shut the door? Maybe. I mean, do you not want us to go there? I don't know. I mean, is, is the Holy Spirit involved? What's going on? Are we doing something wrong? I don't think so. But do we believe that God is in control? Yes, absolutely. 
The team leaders just knew that at that time, regardless of the plans that they had made, they had to make an adjustment. They had to make a change. They had to make a change for the safety of those that would be traveling with them. And I know that Scott and Jeff and Steve are getting ready here in a week or so to, to go try to go back to Haiti. And they've, they've got their plane tickets and they've, they've made their, their reservations. And now all of a sudden you got the coronavirus scare and nobody can travel here and there and all the You know, their plans may be canceled again. I don't know. They might be. Then again, the Holy Spirit might use this to open up another door during this trip that they never ever dreamed or imagined. Scott and Steve and Jeff are doing the exact same thing that Paul and Barnabas did. Hey, guys, let's go back and let's visit some of the people of the relationships that we have and let's encourage them and let's see what God is doing. And they're staying true to the mission and the message of the gospel. You know, if you talk about, if you talk about unpredictability, just look at the life of, of Joseph in the Old Testament. I mean, the guy that was hated by his brothers because of the dream and this, this coat, and they wanted to kill him, but instead of killing him, they put him in a pit, sell him as a slave. And then all of a sudden, all these changes of things that just happened in his life to where he ends up second in charge of, of, all, of all of Egypt. You talk about a, a journey of bumps and bruises and disappointments and challenges and discouragement, yet in the middle of that, God was there the whole time. See, the church on mission may have plans, but the church on mission is, is spirit-led. You know, when I think about unpredictability, think about those who were there. The, think about those who were there at the moment in time that Jesus was arrested, that Jesus was put on trial, that Jesus was beaten, that Jesus was crucified, and Jesus was placed in a tomb. Think about the unpredictability of that. Even though Jesus had told them what was going to take place. Think at what it was like after the resurrection for them to be able to see Jesus face to face and those people that had been defeated and those people that had been discouraged believing that all hope was gone. Not only now believing, but those same people would be willing to give their life because of what they had experienced because they believed what Jesus said was true. You know, it's really funny because you start looking at where the church will be in the days ahead. I don't know. You know, it's funny because people would often say, um, well, you know, Sid, when are we going to do this or when are we going to do that? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I mean, God's the one that started this stuff. He's going to have to show up. He showed up an awful lot in the past years, hasn't he? He showed up. And you know what I'm expecting him to do? In the years ahead, to do the exact same thing that he's been doing because he's God. And because he's in control. And we don't have to try to figure out what's on the other side of the corner, guys, down the road. We don't have to make up all these dreams and waste a lot of time and waste a lot of effort and waste a lot of resources. But what we do do is we stay focused on what God's called us to do. Just like he called Paul and Barnabas to go out, that's exactly what we do. We continue to be faithful with what God has given us. And we take one step at a time, day in and day out, until he reveals to us what's next.
Isn't that great? We don't have to sit on the edge of our seat. We don't have to sit on the edge of our seat because we've come up with man's plans, but we sit on the edge of our seat because we know that God has a plan and that he is faithful and that he is in control. I had written something down that that I thought was pretty appropriate. You know, as churches and also as individuals, we must recognize changes and adjustments, but they don't have to be sources of conflict or discouragement. But what they are, they're an opportunity to trust that God is in control. This is an opportunity for us to be able to exercise faith as well as sit on the edge of our seat wondering what God might do next. Because the church sits on mission is spirit-led, not man-led, not group-led or anything else. And if we trust that and we live that, we can believe that God's going to do some incredible things in the, day to, in the days ahead. Would you bow your heads with me? To begin with, near up front, I, I talked about transformation. And it can be really easy to be religious and never experience transformation. Just for those of you that are here today that have never experienced a a changing of heart, a changing of direction, a changing of life, for you today, I ask, what is it that keeps you from humbling yourself before the Lord? And crying out and recognizing what Jesus did, the price that he paid, the blood that he shed for our sins. And that we aren't saved because of any religious rituals that we participate in, but we're saved because of the blood of Jesus that covers our sins. And today, if you've never made that decision right there where you are, you can make that decision to follow Jesus. Right there where you are. You just tell him. The Bible says, confess your sins, and that whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. Confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today could be the first day of a new life. If you're here with your head bowed and and that's you, I just, listen, I, I want you to, before you leave, I want you to take one of those yellow cards in front of you, just fill it out and put it in there and mark it up and tell me that you've made that decision. We would love to follow up with you and, and to, to talk to you and encourage you as you're on this, this journey, this new faith journey. For the, the, those of us, the rest of us that are here, my challenge is this, for us not to get discouraged or defeated. If our plans may change, if there may have to be adjustments, but that we would stay faithful to the mission and the message. That in the midst of whatever it is that we're doing, we wouldn't become overwhelmed, but we would recognize that God is in control. It would be an opportunity for for us to be able to recognize that God is in control, us to be able to exercise our faith, as well as recognize that in, in the midst of the plan that God is doing something, and we can sit on the edge of our seat expecting him to do something as a church as well as individuals. And so I don't know how that applies to you, for those of us that are believers today. Some of you, man, listen, the door has been shut time and time and time again. Can I tell you, don't give up and don't get discouraged. Don't do that. Maybe you just need to find somebody and, and remember that the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it's not, it's not this Lone Ranger stuff. 
Maybe you need to get with somebody and pray and, and talk it out. There may be other believers that are here today and, and you, for whatever reason, have, 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 have gotten into this little box and think that your relationship with God is, is all personal, which it is, but you can't include anybody else in that sphere of, of conversation. That's a lie. We need each other. We need each other. And maybe you need to get with somebody and just talk to, to either, either encourage somebody or for you to be encouraged. Father, I pray for us as we, as we listen, as we, as we grasp the stories that we read within the Scripture and the impact that they have on our lives. Help us to take what we've read today in the, in the story of Acts and Paul and Barnabas and their trip and God, to see how, how you were at work and to recognize just as you were at work then, you're at work today. Help us to grasp the significance of we're part of something that's much bigger than any plan that we would ever want to devise. Help us not to be in, involved in just what we want to do. Help us to be involved in what your plan, not, not our agenda, but your agenda. Not, not our stuff, but your stuff. And in the end, Father, that we would be able to celebrate celebrate. Thank you, Father, for hearing us today, and would you take us out into the, out these doors to be your, to be your witnesses, to be your ambassadors. Father, help us to understand that we don't have to go across the, the sea to be on mission for you. And to God, today I pray also, I, I want to pray for I want to pray for Rob as he gets ready to go um, overseas to build a church with that team that will be going with him. I pray for, for Jenna and the family. I pray that we would be supporters of them during this time. I pray that uh, you, would, um, you would see fit to protect him and his team as they are on mission um, there in, in Paraguay. And Father, for, for Steve and Scott and Jeff, I also pray for them today as well, knowing that the excitement of sitting on the edge of their seats, that three times at least that trips have been canceled because of various reasons. Lord, I pray that if it be your will that you would allow this trip to take place so they would be able to continue the work that we have going on in Haiti and that, 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 that even further greater work would be done. Father, help us to see the closed doors as well as experience the open doors and give you the glory. And I pray as I often do, Lord, would you do something so unbelievable within our presence? Because so many times our faith becomes weak, we become challenged and discouraged. But help us to experience something that only you could do, God, so that we could not only be encouraged, Father, that, that we could, we could uh, have this sense of boldness to be able to tell others about what you're doing. Do something in so, that's so incredible that even the devils in hell stand up and know that, that man, that's something God did that. That's what I want to be a part of. Help us to experience that so that our faith would be encouraged and so that others would come to know you in the process. Bless us now as we leave this place. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.